With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I am so happy you're joining us today. Welcome to the sixth episode of my show. I'm really excited to have this platform to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and also to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please check out my websites, privacyprofessor.org, simus360.com, and privacyguidance.com. So today's topic is one that I've been thinking about a lot since they first started being used in the U.S. around 2003. And what I'm talking about are body cameras, body cameras used by law enforcement and by safety and security services professionals. You know, I see some really great potential for supporting accountability for the actions of those wearing them, but I also see privacy risks for those in the vicinity, such as in 911 cases where there might have been violent crimes or you know really horrific accidents, and perhaps the family members don't want to have those images available to others. In July of 2013, the U.S. Department of Justice released their research, and at that time they reported that less than 25% of police departments in the U.S. used body cams. But by 2015, a mere two years later, 95% of the larger police departments reported that they were either already using body cameras, or they had committed to doing so in the near future. So in recent years, there has been a really huge amount of adoption for the use of body cameras by law enforcement. Now, it's also interesting to know that laws for the use of body cameras are also increasing. Currently, there are 34 states and the District of Columbia that have created laws for the use of body cameras. Law enforcement and security and safety services companies are increasingly using body cameras to record both video and audio. And of course, they are also increasingly in the news. I've been finding reports about body cameras really weekly. I mean, take for instance, a headline from February 8th that of this year that I thought was pretty interesting. It said, 
body cams seen as a good marketing tool, but invasion of privacy in the Tampa Bay area. Now, here's some additional information from that article. 400 Pasco County, Florida deputies are equipped with body cameras, and they share more video from those devices than from any other in the Tampa Bay area. But it's a very, very different story in Polk County, Florida, where Sheriff Grady Judd said that he doesn't want anything to do with recording devices of any kind with his law enforcement officers because he believes that they are a huge invasion of his officers' privacy. There was a policefoundation.org guidance document on body cameras that's out on their website. And they recommended that there should be a good discussion about when police ought to be required to activate the cameras. But the idea that they should always have them on at all times is, is truly unrealistic for both the police and the community. So here are some of the privacy concerns for body cameras. Number one, police body cameras that cannot be turned off as a matter of policy will capture private conversations of anyone within earshot of the camera. Number two, they create a type of surveillance or surveillance footage of people in private and semi-private places going about their lives as the police officers are moving amongst them. Number three, they'll capture confidential conversations with people who may want to tell the police about criminal activities on their block or maybe even where they think criminals are located. Number four, they will capture police discussing the lawful but possibly sensitive tactics that they use to investigate criminals and apprehend them. Five, they'll capture privileged conversations, perhaps with attorneys and the identities of child crime victims or people in states of compromised dignity and other situations. And then six, they'll capture footage of police possibly even in the bathroom or eating lunch or, you know, having cell phone conversations with their family members and so on. So listeners, where do you stand on this topic? Is it an invasion of privacy for those interacting with the police and those in their vicinity? Or is it an absolutely necessary tool to have body cams? Or is it somewhere in between? How can we balance the safety and the privacy issues? Well, I have the perfect expert to speak with about these issues today, and his name is Tom Conley. So let me give you some background on Tom. Tom Conley is president and CEO of the Conley Group, based right here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm also based. I've known Tom for close to 20 years now, I think. Um, And on January 17th of this year, The Anti-Terrorism Accreditation Board, or ATAB, announced that Tom was appointed to serve on the Anti-Terrorism Accreditation Board's Strategic Counter-Terrorism Council. So that's a really great honor. 
And in addition to having earned several other professional certifications, Tom earned and was awarded the prestigious Certified Grand Master Elite Anti-Terrorism Specialist designation in 2015. Now, Tom's been directly involved with the development of the Maritime Security Manager Certification, and Tom's made a significant contribution to the ATAB Operational Security and Intelligence Certification. So Tom has many years of experience also as an information security manager while he was in the U.S. Navy. In 2010, Tom was awarded the ATAB Legion of Exceptional Merit Award for his work, and Tom had a 27-year career serving in the U.S. Navy police, and he retired as a senior commissioned officer. Tom's also a former police captain, and he's held several command positions and is a certified counterterrorism instructor for the U.S. Department of Defense. Tom's earned a couple dozen, I think, professional certifications, as well as a master's degree and two bachelor's degree. He's also a graduate of Executive Security International, is a certified emergency medical technician, and he has a black belt in karate and is an expert with handguns and rifles. So if you want to see more about Tom and certainly his services and his business, go to www.theconleygroup.com. So Tom, I am so happy to have you on my new show, and thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome. Thank you, Becky. It's really my pleasure to be here. Well, this is an important topic, and I know from uh, past discussions you and I have had over these many years that certainly, and, and seeing some of your writings, that this is a topic that I know you've dealt with often. So let's start, let our listeners know a little bit about how you got to owning a security and safety services business. Can you give us a brief overview of your history that led to your uh, starting your own business? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. Um, I grew up uh, around Iowa, but in foster homes and institutions. Um, So I was in 13 foster homes and three institutions growing up. So um, being around troubled people, I got to know the police a lot. And I decided I wanted to be a police officer's career, uh, my career choice. So um, when I got out of high school, I got on uh, a cadet program with the sheriff's office, and you couldn't be a a police officer until you were 21, so the deputy said, hey, go work for some security company. So I did and got into management Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, thought I could do um, a lot better job modeling an agency off a private police model versus a traditional guard model. And so um, that's what I chose to do full-time, and then later on I became a police officer also. So basically that was my career choice, not only to offer people an alternative, but also to professionalize, help professionalize an industry. Oh, great. Well, and I know you've had your business here um, in the Des Moines area, and that it also offers services for multiple states. Can you describe some of those surveillance services and safety services that your business provides? 
Sure, we provide uh, on-site security people, um, uh, both on an armed and unarmed basis, and then we provide security patrol service, where it's a fractional service, where a security officer in a patrol vehicle patrols a certain number of uh, businesses, homes within a geographic area. And then we also do some investigations, and it's typically intellectual property, um, human resources, uh, investigations, allegations of wrongdoing, and the workplace violence response. Uh, in the past 35 years, uh, I've responded more than 250 workplace violence situations and managed wow. a thousand. Holy <clears throat> so, cow! Um, those uh, those higher level investigations are typically <clears throat> what we what we are involved in. And of course, if anybody wants a real expert on IT, I give them your name. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. So, you know, when you're talking about workplace violence, that is just, I mean, we've seen so much on the news. Do Are your guards, do they wear body cameras when they are involved in those situations? Um, if they're armed or even unarmed, is that something that you've incorporated into your your service uh, offerings? No, we, we do not. <clears throat> and it's primarily because of the cost. Oh, okay. Um, um, primarily what happens with private security is um, if, if you're an employee of an organization, they will give you benefits, <clears throat> uh, pay raises, and all sorts of things that you would normally think of with a company taking care of their employees. Unfortunately, with private security, it's a contract service. So they will, for instance, provide health insurance for their own people, but um, not not contract people. <clears throat> so there's a second-class citizen kind of kind of thing that intrinsically comes with trying to help many companies. And so uh, we don't deal with people like that uh, simply because uh, we, we offer a different level of service. But the money is not unlimited. So there's a finite. Um, amount of money for training and uh, equipment, and so what we'll do, for instance, is uh, is, is spend money training our people in uh, <clears throat> firearms, defensive tactics, mm-hmm. anti-terrorism, and and the things that directly affect their ability to accomplish uh, the mission, and and of course, response to workplace violence, depending on the situation, is, is clearly one of those. Uh, uh, you know, domains of knowledge and expertise that they have to have. Mm-hmm. So I, I would love to have body cameras <clears throat> if we could afford them, and, if, and especially then the storage and retention of the video. Right. Well, and we're going to come to that issue here in a few questions. But, you know, I want to kind of find out some of your opinions about then the police use sure. of body cams. Now, when I was uh, doing a little bit of research, I found out, that the first generation of what I guess we could consider modern police body cameras was started to be used around 2004, 2005, actually in the United Kingdom. Now, just think about it. In 2004, 2005, we didn't really have any smartphones. We had flip phones, and some of them right. could take you know, photos. You, uh, you but, and I still have those, as a matter of fact. 
Yes, yes, we do because they they are very secure. But um, you know the the types of uh, recording capabilities that exist now with smartphones is just amazing. The video and also the uh, photos. So back then there was really a limited number of ways that those in the general public could record the police with ease while the police were recording them. So now it's very common to see a lot of video posted online that people have taken uh, with their own smartphones. Mm -hmm. And so that way you have not only the police with their video and audio from their body cams, but now you have other perspectives being brought in. So what are your views on police wearing body cams and, and how have your views changed over the years if they have um, now that we have virtually every person with a recording device to record their perspectives in any type of situation excuse me well there there's two sides of the coin as always um, I originally was not a supporter but I become a huge supporter of law enforcement wearing body cameras and frankly, if you talk with police officers who wear them, uh, they're huge supporters, too. You went over some of the, the problem issues, um, civil liberties, confidential information. <clears throat> you know, if you're using the restroom, certainly don't want body camera in there because it violates your own privacy. I mean, that's just common sense. <clears throat> um, if police officers are doing what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, a body cam will clear them of any wrongdoing 100% of the time. <clears throat> if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, it will indict them 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. So most police officers are, are good, honest people who are in the profession for the right reason. <clears throat> so they um, want that record of documentation so they can't falsely be accused of things they didn't do, especially in this environment that we're in right now, where there's a sort of hate the police movement with some. So police have to be doing it better and more often, and body cams is a real good way for transparency. The the cost is a problem, especially problematic is the cost of storage for the video. Um and the questions around that, is it electronic discovery? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how long are you um, uh, compelled <clears throat> to keep that um, video? Who has access to it? Mm-hmm. And, and all those issues. <clears throat> the concerns that I have are what you mentioned with respect to privacy. <clears throat> um, one of the problems is that uh, people will tell police officers things um, that are going on, you know, a snitch, if you will, although I call a snitch a good citizen, but uh, people are more reluctant to tell them confidential information if they're being recorded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some literally fear for their safety. Um, I was on the Iowa Civil Rights Commission for five years, and this issue came up. In, in a commission meeting, and um, the, the specific issue was, okay, so your your neighbor um, has a, a domestic, 
and the police officers get tripped to the house. <clears throat> they go in, they have body cameras, and, and they record the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now, that um, video, as long as there's a criminal investigation, is protected. <clears throat> but the Iowa, way Iowa law is written now is that's a public record mm-hmm. <clears throat> once that case is over. So, um, you know, frankly, you know, should your, your neighbor be able to see <clears throat> in your house if you have a fight with your wife or, or whoever? <clears throat> and that's where the law hasn't quite caught up with uh, technology, uh, really no different than um, electronic uh, records with respect to the Fourth Amendment. You know, if they're in your filing cabinet, they're protected. If they're on the cloud, not so much. <clears throat> you know, the same well- record. Yeah, and you know that's something. Of course, I've been concerned with nine one one calls yeah. for a long time because I've seen how families who've had their loved ones either killed in horrible accidents or yeah. murdered. It's like, why does this need to be made available to the public? How is that actually in the public interest? And now with the body cams on, like you said, domestic uh, types of situations, I mean, what is in the the public interest to be able to allow just the general public to get access to that? That seems like it's it's not necessary and it's uh, – opens a door to more harm for those who have already been harmed. Yeah, I mean, i give you a quick example. You know, imagine your grandpa or grandmother passes away, and so the police are called. And when you die, all your bodily functions let loose. Mm -hmm. Do you want your your grandmother or grandfather to be videoed in that condition and have it uploaded to YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. And right. So the problem with the law is anytime there's discretion, there's an openness to interpretation. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's why the laws involving this issue have to evolve. Mm-hmm. And for crying out loud, there has to be some common sense. I mean, it just has to be some common sense. So to well, me, <clears throat> if, uh, you know, if, if it's a privacy issue, the family should have some say about whether that's released or not, independent of a Freedom of Information Records request. Yes, yeah. So, so that, that, you know, it's always an issue of the privacy versus the need to know. And that's what we get into with government surveillance. You know, mm-hmm. where do you draw the line between an individual's privacy and the government's need to invade that privacy a little bit to protect people from from a terrorist act? <clears throat> but you know, with cameras, um, <clears throat> the the other kind of kind of bad issue is I'm sure you're familiar with the CSI effect, <clears throat> where people. Mm-hmm are prosecuted, they go into court, and jurors expect the, uh, you know, the, the CSI to function just like it does on TV, and that's not how the real world works. Right. So one of the dangers is, for instance, with a police shooting. So a situation is a, a, a police officer gets called to a home, 
and um, uh, it, it's dark, <clears throat> and um, it's a burglary, and they they see somebody, and they see what they think is a weapon. <clears throat> they order the person mm-hmm. to put it down. The person doesn't put it down, so they fire, and they kill the person. <clears throat> the problem is that camera has the ability to pick up very, very clearly on the situation. So what the jury sees does not match <clears throat> what the officer saw at the time of decision-making. So Ooh, that's a good point. Video, jury looks at the video and says, well, it's obvious that the person didn't have a gun, so why did Mr. and Mrs. Police Officer shoot him? when, in fact, the police officer was limited by human vision. So <clears throat> that's what people have to keep in mind, is uh, no no police officer has a bionic eye that's going to be able to match <clears throat> with that kind of technology. And so, really, they have a, a, a better chance of being, uh, you know, second-guessed. And the problem always is the police officer has a couple seconds to make a decision that takes a jury six months to look at. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So that, that's that's a danger is is uh, having a police officer who makes a decision in good faith based upon what he or she sees, but mm-hmm. the camera sees something <clears throat> far different, but the police officer didn't have access to it at the time. You know, and I think that's a a very important point for our listeners to consider because I don't hear that point being made on line or on news reports, really. I mean, like you said, you see the video and everybody's analyzing the video. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's um, it's so clear. It's like, well, of course it's clear here. How could that person make that, um, you know, take that action when that person is seeing it so clearly? But it would be kind of like if... Okay, I'm here on the third floor of my office. I'm looking out my window, and, you know, I could see kind of over, you know, in my neighbor across the way. But if I had binoculars, I could see really clearly. And it would be like if everybody had binoculars on their eyes all the time, right? But they don't. So. Well, plus plus vision that corrected itself. We we have a... Uh, thermal cameras that we just put in our patrol cars, <clears throat> and it's a system called Noptic, like optic with an N in front Ooh. of it. And the units are about 4,000. Can, can we hold on to that? Sure. Can we hold on to that? Thought? Sure, We're right sure. at a break now, and I don't want to interrupt you, but that'll be a great place to, to pick up when we come back. So uh, now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We're speaking with Tom Conley, president of the Conley Group at www.theconleygroup.com. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHarold at RebeccaHarold.com, and also through my website, Simmons360.com, PrivacyProfessor.org. Please stay with us, and we will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, we're talking with Tom Conley about privacy and security of videos and audio created by law enforcement and also the security guard services that might use them uh, through body cameras. Now, before the break, Tom was starting to describe Noptic, which uh, has to do with uh, a tool that is being used with these videos and audio. So let's continue that conversation. Tom, tell us a bit more about Noptic. Sure. It's a, it's a system that uh, replaces the regular police spotlight, and it has a, a molded um, floor camera on top of the spotlight. So what happens is the cable runs into... Uh, a laptop, and um, what you can do then is see at night, <clears throat> cold things are black, hot, hot things are, are white, and uh, everything shows up in between. <clears throat> so basically, if you respond to an alarm, you can scan the area and literally see if anybody's hiding in the cover, uh, oh, if anybody okay. throws a knife, throws a gun, if there's a handprint on the wall. If there's a car that's been run recently, you'll be able to see it. And 
it has a feature <clears throat> with the software being just hit the record button and then capture that video. So it's sort of a thermal in-car camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, really it takes away the criminal's uh, greatest asset at night, <clears throat> which is the ability to hide under the cover of darkness. So this has to be viewed on the video screen by the police. It's not something like there's a light shining in the woods or whatever that that um, makes it visible, the person visible. It's something that's done through the screen on the video, correct? That's right. As a matter of fact, on the Noptic website, <clears throat> there's a picture of three people hiding in a wooded area, and uh, right beside that is a... <clears throat> spotlight on that area you can't see the three people with a blue hmm. spotlight but you can with the thermal <clears throat> so um i know des moines police have one of those units we have several now and there's no other law enforcement agencies in the area that have them because they're about four thousand dollars a piece oh wow but, but to me they're they're an officer safety issue mm-hmm. well sure <laughs> that was the main main driver <clears throat> is uh I don't want our people, you know, when they pull up on a property at night, <clears throat> getting jumped uh, and hurt or worse um, by somebody just because there was technology that could have helped them, but we were just too cheap uh, to mm-hmm. uh, to care about enough of them to do it. So. Well, and you know that that video is being recorded not only with those but also other types of body cameras. So I want to get to an issue that's also a concern of many different uh, privacy groups and civil rights groups. Um, And that is there's been instances where it appears that um, the videos have either been edited by those who want to use them as evidence um, or the body cameras were turned off apparently and then turned back on at a different time. So it wasn't recording, um, you know, at all times, and I think we even had a situation here in the uh, Des Moines area in the past year or two about that, how it appeared that when the police officer showed up at a scene of a crime that the camera was turned off, and then when it was turned on, evidence was, you know, shown there, and so that's where everybody started doubting uh the, the video. So how can those of us in the general public, you know, what can be done to validate that what's being recorded is uh, legitimate and hasn't been edited? I mean, what are the police doing? Do you know what kind of, of rules and practices that they have to help ensure that, you know, there, there's always going to be a few uh, bad apples, right, in every bunch. So how can you make, yeah, so how can you make sure that um, if you do have bad apples, they're found, but if you have something that looks suspicious, you can go back also and confirm if it's valid um, that it's there. Well, you brought up a key point, and that's that um, any evidence of any type has to have integrity, or it's no good. And there's a couple of issues with integrity. <clears throat> One is to make sure that um, nobody's um, altered it, <clears throat> and the other two is to maintain a chain of custody. And mm-hmm. so, for instance, if you get a police officer with a camera, that officer 
cannot have the ability <clears throat> to access the data on it. Mm-hmm. Just can't. And so whoever downloads it <clears throat> has to mark that on a record. When they downloaded it, there has to be an electronic record of it. It has to be put <clears throat> into an electronic library. And then anybody who has accessed that video at any time, <clears throat> there has to be a record of it to match the electronic access record. Because otherwise, there's absolutely no way to ensure the integrity of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, without integrity, it's not evidence. And, well, and so, when when you say that they have to do that, now, is that a, a, a state of <clears throat> Iowa law? Is it a, a rule or a law of the city of Des Moines? Is <clears throat> it just a policy of the department? Is it... Federal law, I mean, what? how hard and fast are those requirements for them to do that, and how widespread? Well, there, there's two answers to that. First of all, it's a policy, but, um, but, but it goes deeper than that to the basic rules of evidence, both criminal and civil rules of evidence. Um, okay. if, if, if a police officer um, lies in court... Um, they're coined to be a Brady cop. <clears throat> and a Brady cop means that they've been caught lying in their official duties. <clears throat> and every time after that, um, any time that police officer has a case, you have to disclose to the other side that they're a Brady cop. So basically, oh. there, basically there's a, a big <clears throat> um, mark on your forehead that says this cop's been a liar. So, so why is it called the Brady Cop? I mean, there, there's a it's after it, it's after a bill, I think. You know, oh, okay. You know, it's like you know, um, you know, Graham Leach Bliley. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But and, and that's a colloquialism. <clears throat> but um, part it's not of like it, Tom Brady because of the football. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no. He throws too fast to make it on video, right? <laughs> okay. So. Um, so one is the internal policy about how to handle it, but the other issue, and where it becomes potentially criminal, is the, is committing perjury. If that video has been altered, and you uh, had reasonable belief to know or do know that it has been altered, and you testify that it is in fact has integrity, you've committed perjury, which is a Class D felony, <clears throat> and you can not only be fired but criminally prosecuted for it. So there's a there's a whole bunch of reasons to tell the truth and no reasons to lie. And really, it's no different than any other kind of evidence. I know a police department I was on, the uh, a teenager got picked up for having a six-pack of beer. And mm-hmm. it got booked into evidence. And when it was time to go to court, that police officer went to get that six-pack <clears throat> out of evidence, and it was gone. So he went Uh-oh. to the store and bought a six-pack. And went into court with that, got caught, and he got fired from his job. Well, so, yeah. So what you have to do is is that at, at the moment he realized that that evidence was gone, he tells the prosecutor, "Hey, the evidence is gone. Don't know what happened to it." So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no right way to do a wrong thing. Is what it boils mm-hmm. down to. And um, police officers, as well as our people, have to be held above a standard of the general public, not equal to and certainly not below. 
Well, so are there when you have the the holding area for evidence then? I mean, certainly we have logs that can show if people are accessing like the video uh, and audio from the body cams, but are there aren't there surveillance cameras to see who's going in and out of the holding area for all this physical evidence? Well, there are there are now plus card access mm-hmm. and um, you know various ways of of electronic logging, and you know that's that's really a good thing. I mean, you know, if you're if you file police officer or prosecutor and you file criminal charges against somebody, that's really, really serious because they could potentially lose their freedom. Mm-hmm. And so that's why beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt is 80 or 90 percent versus a civil case where it's preponderance or more likely than not, which is 51 percent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're talking about potentially taking away a person's freedom and putting them in jail, that's a very, very serious thing and it needs to be taken serious and part of that is you can't have uh, evidence that's faked or is contaminated anyway well so who audits yeah who audits then the uh, police departments like their use of body cams and the the actual video and audio files the logs i mean are there regular audits done on uh within most police departments and law enforcement agencies that's a great question one i don't know the answer to <clears throat> i can tell you that if there's a, a civil rights complaint the fbi will typically investigate <clears throat> and mm-hmm. if the fbi comes in and um and they find <clears throat> evidence that does not have integrity and is contaminated, that's going to be a problem for the department and the officer officers. Mm-hmm. There's normally a property room and an mm-hmm. evidence room, and there's one person in charge of that. And I, and, uh, I know in the Navy police, <clears throat> those are audited regularly by the, by the inspector general just to make sure everything's as it should be <clears throat> and everything matches. Um, but if everybody's doing their job as they should, there should never be anything missing or contaminated. Mm-hmm. Well, and so then, how about uh, these video and audio files? I mean, are they used elsewhere? I know I've read different claims, and of course, when I read these things, I I take it with a grain of salt because. They're just claims, but they're unsubstantiated. So do you know, like, um, when body cam video and audio is collected, is that shared in with anyone else? Like, if we took it here in Des Moines, is that shared with the FBI located here in the state of Iowa? Or is it, you know, shared with the state patrol? How how are, are those video and audio files used beyond the purpose for which they were originally collected for maybe the particular crime or incident? Well, I think you get to the core of the issue, and the question is, why are they, why are they, um, um, why do officers wear body cams? And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons is to, um, for the protection of the officer, but it also runs the other way, too. And if you're on a street corner, 
and you capture activity that's out in the public domain, <clears throat> then it's fair to use that in law enforcement for intelligence. So um, one of the things that we tell our security officers is act in such a way as though you were on being videoed <clears throat> at all times and every minute while you're on duty. Mm-hmm. And um, so there, there's what's in the public domain meeting coming in your house is different than than on the street corner. I would think, and I don't know the answer to that, but I would think that um, another agency would need a compelling reason to, for instance, get a, a video of that's inside somebody's house. Let's say there's a mm-hmm. domestic in a suspected drug house, and you know another agency wants it to... Um, you know, to see, kind of look around. Uh-huh. I would think that could be interpreted as a Fourth Amendment violation without a warrant. <clears throat> I know, for instance, you know, the uh, the FLIR technology that we're using with the Noptic system, um, it can see in houses, not not uh-huh. not very far, but it can see heat signatures in houses. And there was a case from 2001, I think it was Kylie versus <clears throat> versus some department, maybe Department of Justice, but the Supreme Court ruled that the police um, overstepped when from a city street they they looked into the heat signature of a house. The people were growing dope. They got a warrant based on that and made the arrest. And the court said um, since they could not see it with their naked eyes, it was an invasion of privacy. Of course, we don't since we're not officers of the court, we don't have those Fourth Amendment restrictions. Right. But, but police officers do, and there's a really good reason for the Fourth Amendment. So it kind of what you're talking about now, then, it really depends upon the situation. Because earlier we talked about how if you have a domestic dispute, 911 is called, the body cams are turned on by the police, you're in the home. Sure. That that goes out to the public domain after the case has been resolved or... Uh, it, it, it can with a Freedom, Freedom of Information Act request. With the Freedom of Information Act request. <clears throat> yeah. But if if they were not called there through 911 and they got it through a different means like you described there, then that's a completely different type of situation then. That is what I call an attorney question. As far as who can get <laughs> access to it. <clears throat> but, you know, certainly... You know the the whole the whole issue is balancing um, a person's Fourth Amendment rights with the protection of society, and and that balance I think is a moving line depending on the situation. Well, especially with the changing technologies now. I mean, I, I've been reading about you know using big data analytics to de- to actually predict where crimes might occur or also to predict who might be uh, going to commit a crime. So then they could put surveillance on uh, individuals in that way. And now I'm seeing where um, artificial intelligence or AI is being used with body cams. Um, What type of body cam enhancements and new features do you see coming in the next year or two that's going beyond what we have 
currently in use. Is that something that you've looked into very much? Well, I, I will tell you the military has technology that's still classified. <clears throat> but um, um, one of the things it does is it gives you 360-degree visibility <clears throat> projected on uh, the lens of glasses. <clears throat> and that the that, police officer is wearing? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, what a great feature that the police officers police officer has eyes in the back of his or her head for somebody who's going to come up and clonk them. <clears throat> right. So, um, um, and, and there's also uh, electronic, electronic transmissions. So maybe it won't be locally. Maybe it transmits, transmits live over a mesh network directly to the server. <clears throat> so that, that gets rid of the storage on the camera. And it also gets rid of... Um, you know, police officer <laughs> gets in a, a fight with somebody, gets mm-hmm. shot, and the bad guy steals a camera. You know, then pretty soon, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the video of the incident goes with it. Mm-hmm. If it's wirelessly transmitted and uploaded uh, instantaneously over a mesh network, <laughs> then there's no way for the bad guy to, to turn back the clock and get that, that video and destroy it. Well, that brings up a good question, too. What about the security controls of that transmission? I mean, yep. are they encrypting that transmission? Is it strong two-factor authentication? How do they make sure that somebody isn't, you know, just watching what's going on on those wireless? You know, kind of like some people like to listen in on the police scanners. What's sure. keeping people from listening in on all those wireless transmissions? Well, the United States military has a wireless Internet called the Global Command Control System, or GCCS, and it's basically a satellite Internet that's very, very secure. A part of that, uh, a module of that, is JWICS, which is a joint worldwide intelligence system. And I I know the video for the military runs over JWICS. That's not not classified at all. So um, there's a... Uh, uh, mesh network and communications called FirstNet, and it's all one word, First N-E-T. <clears throat> and that's uh, basically a, a nationwide infrastructure for public safety um, that AT&T got the contract on. <clears throat> and that's what I think that's going to run over. Um, so it's supposed to be, supposed to be secure. Uh-huh. <clears throat> supposed to be. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a. Go ahead. Well, no, but you know, you know as well as I do. Anytime something is wireless, it can be intercepted by somebody else. Right. So. so, Yeah. That a strength of encryption is going to be so important, and then the uh, the trusted insiders, because uh, you know we've had so many breaches occur through insiders who had authorized access to all these different types of of data files and everything else. And of course, that leads to just very large, uh, some of the largest breaches that we've seen are from trusted insiders. So I would anticipate that um, those in law enforcement and also in security 
firms and safety firms, um, they're probably uh, doing something to to make sure that those uh, are you know are well trained and so on. Oh, we're coming up on the top of our. I'm sorry, I read my message wrong here. So good, we've got a few more minutes. Um, well, how about our listeners? Um, you know, right now when I'm traveling and I also see um, people who are whipping out their uh, smartphones and, you know, airports and hotels and everything else, I see the automatically just starting to record, especially when they see uh, folks who have on uniforms, either military, either police, uh, government officials. So, you know, what if our listeners, what if they're recording with their smartphone and they're confronted with police officer or security guard and, you know, they're probably already using a, a body cam, but uh, are there any laws against uh, recording police or security guards? <clears throat> there, there really isn't, as long as it's in the public domain. <clears throat> and um, I know when smartphones first came out, <clears throat> uh, it irritated um, law enforcement officers when they'd come up to the car and people had a camera on them. <clears throat> but now mm-hmm. they feel better because they've got a camera on the driver, too. Ah, so, okay. So, the in a way, in a big way, the body cams protect the officer <clears throat> against somebody recording them and altering the video. Mm-hmm. So that's what I said. If you're, you know, if you're if you're a straight shooter as a police officer, and you don't do anything that you're ashamed of or shouldn't do, then it doesn't matter who records you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a very good point to make. So what what would you like to make is the most significant thing for our listeners uh, to be aware of and both for our USA listeners, but we also have several uh, international listeners too. I saw we have quite a a few folks from China and also from uh, the Middle East and Europe who listen. So, you know, what would you like for everyone listening to know about uh, the use of body cams by law enforcement and security guards? Uh, about a one-minute thought on that. Well, what I would do is suggest, um, you know, sort of like the mom deal, is don't don't say or do anything in private that your mother wouldn't approve of. <laughs> you know, if... That's good. If, if, if she... If she would hear you, um, there's a, as you know, the the cyber warfare is the next generation of global mm-hmm. combat, and then the war's underway right now. And um, you know, you do such a good job because you literally help people um, protect their information in a way that they may not think of um, normally and I, I mean I would urge people to go to your your website and uh, you know get get all the good information that you put out because the re- the reality is the best offense is a good defense and so well, doing thank you. things yeah well no I mean it's, it's true so doing things um, um, you know don't do high risk behaviors. You know, right. do low-risk behaviors with your data, um, like uh, get a flip phone, flip phone like you and I have, 
and uh, because smartphones are too too high of vulnerability. So, um, if the, if you, if they can stand that, <laughs> we're we're well, running out of time here. We're at the thirty second mark. So I hate to cut this short because uh, I have enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. Today I've been chatting with Tom Conley, President and CEO of The Conley Group, and you can go to his website at www.theconleygroup.com. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor, pursuing my goal to help all businesses and the general public to be more aware of security and privacy risks and issues and also how to mitigate those risks and better protect privacy. I hope you tune in to the show each week, and if you can't make it for the um, original airing, why well, certainly you could listen to the recordings. Please feel free to get in touch with me for your security, privacy, compliance, keynotes, classes, and more. Go out to Simbus360.com and also privacyprofessor.org. And if you have suggestions for show topics, comments, send them to RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Um, and t- Please just be privacy safe and security smart in the week ahead. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.